0: Hey, everybody. It's Benji and Chris here. We've got episode number seven of the Generation Fit podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about seven of the biggest fitness myths. Now, we could be going on for this for hours and hours on end. There are thousands of the biggest fitness myths because the fitness industry is just completely saturated with so much misinformation, so many charlatans that lie. And the last episode we did was about supplements. The whole episode was basically a misinformation episode. So Mm -hmm. Um, there's just a plethora to go over, but today we're going to talk about seven of some of the biggest ones and biggest questions we get regarding them. Before we get into this episode, I just want to remind everyone to go to www.thegenerationfit.com. We've got so many free resources, free guides that will help you in the pursuit of any of your fitness goals and lots of other free information. We've got a newsletter as well that will help you out in terms of getting to your goals. So definitely go check that out, guys. All
1: right, so being podcast number seven, that we wanted to bring you seven of the biggest fitness myths that we thought out. Yeah, I actually didn't plan it that way, but that's perfect. Like, it works out perfectly. (laughs) Yeah, it just so happens to be. So starting off with number one is stretching before a workout. So the thought was that to warm up the muscles, that we would stretch them prior to a resistance training bout. Uh, The problem with that is, as research came out, that in resistance training, you're actually shortening the muscle to perform whatever task that you're doing. So imagine that you're trying to produce the most amount of force with said muscle, in this case, the hamstring. And imagine right before that, that you stretched it, which is elongating the muscle. Now, when you elongate the muscle, that you're actually making it harder for it to shorten. So in this case is lengthening the muscle before you have to shorten it is actually indicated in the research currently
0: yeah people just stretch aimlessly whatever muscle they plan on training that day but first of all stretching let's say that it gives you more range of motion when you're just stretching and increasing range of motion how is your strength through that range of motion right so like if i can lift a kettlebell over my head and as i stretch my lats more and more and have more range of motion in my shoulders the further i bring it behind my head imagine now if i have no strength through that range of motion now So now I'm holding a 50-pound kettlebell above my head. I feel like my arm's just going to snap because I have no strength through that range of motion. So not to overdo mobility, which is an umbrella term encompassing lots of things, but a lot of times when people think that they need to stretch a muscle, they actually need more overall mobility, which is essentially just taking a muscle through a full range of motion with strength and stability. Mm -hmm. So all of those things are going to be very important. But... When it comes to stretching a muscle, also the idea was that it's going to help incre- uh, decrease delayed onset muscle soreness, which research isn't really um, very positive on that either. No, it's basically it's uh, for that end. In terms of recovery, your
1: best thing is to make sure that your in training intensity or how hard you go and your training volume or how much you do are good as good enough a stimulus for you, so you're not overdoing it to where you're sore for more than two days, three days, four days. And in that dosage that if you do stretch out after a workout, yes, it can be beneficial because you just completely shortened every muscle that you're targeting. Exactly, yeah. So then if you want to stretch after a workout, then by all means, we actually do recommend it and to lengthen the muscles to help it relax. And it, de-
0: and it depends what y- which muscle you're stretching based on your own circumstances. So like I was talking about before, people aimlessly stretch muscles, but what is your body? Everyone has their own muscular imbalances so some people have extremely shortened muscles and extremely lengthened muscles if you're just stretching muscles that are already more lengthened in your body than they should be relative to the other muscles around it it's antagonist muscles then you're probably just making whatever muscular distortion you have actually worse Mm -hmm. so the idea here is to lengthen or stretch shortened muscles and if anything, shorten already lengthened muscles or keep it as is so they have a balance between the two. So if my quads are very lengthened and probably not very tight at all, relatively loose is the word we'll use for the average person. And my hamstrings are very shortened or for the average person, we're just going to say that it's tight. It doesn't always mean that it's exactly the same, but on average, I'm going to probably if my hamstrings are very tight and shortened I'm going to stretch that muscle but I'm not going to stretch my quads necessarily before a quad workout because then I'm just making the muscle imbalance between the two in terms of how they're lengthened and shortened even greater so there's no point in doing that just blindly mm-hmm. that's what a lot of people do
1: yeah it, the thought is that it's just to warm up the muscle and it's not that's not what you should be doing at all what you should be doing is called what we call mobility drills and or priming the muscles and the joints to be able to fire the way that you want them to. Yeah. And then the easiest way to picture it is uh, your posture. So most people's shoulders are rounding forward, which means that if you're watching this on video, that my shoulders are forward. Therefore, my chest is actually shortening and my upper back is actually lengthening. So most of us have weak, weaker back muscles because they're lengthened. So you have more range of motion to move through or you don't know how to fire it and better pushing muscles or stronger chest muscles because you're actually a little more forward it's more shortened you have less range of motion to work with and when you have less range of motion to work with you usually are stronger with that range of motion so in this case is you're probably better off with stretching and opening up the chest cavity so what you do is just like go to a corner of a wall put both hands against it in 90 degree angles with your elbows at at shoulder height and then pushing into the wall to about six or seven stretching tolerance and what that will do is is open up the chest cavity so now you have more range of motion to work with that's when stretching helps but do not use it as a warm-up yep. use it as
0: a very specific tool to help you get into a better range of motion exactly do everything with a purpose guys and let's roll into the next biggest myth here which i think this is one of the biggest ones in the fitness industry it's that you can lose fat from certain areas the idea that you could spot reduce so this is typically used with losing stomach fat like oh this is all the ways to lose your stubborn belly fat or how to lose your the fat in your chest, like do these exercises or eat this food. It doesn't work like that. Everyone's body stores fat based on different proportions. Some people, I mean, there are on average, like men will store more in their stomach, women will store more in their lower body, but everyone's an individual and they store fat in different proportions in different areas. And some places where they store fat, they just happen to store fat more. So typically what happens is that your body, as you lose fat, you start to lose fat from your whole body overall, but some places it will come off quicker than others. That's just how your genetics are set up, basically. So, for you guys out there that are trying to lose stomach fat, that m- might start to gradually come off, but you're still going to have a lot more potentially, even after you lost 10, 15 pounds. And you're going to be saying, How do I lose my stomach fat? Well, really, it's just to healthily and safely continue to lose body fat in order to lose that stubborn belly fat. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I understand that fat on your body uh, is a mechanism for survival. So, it fat itself on the body is for extra energy storage. And to be in a healthy range, your body does want to keep a certain amount on it at all times. And it's a big range. For men, it's about 10 to 20% is the consensus, and for women, just add about 10% on top of that. So, it's about at times like 18 to 20%. Yeah. So, th- those are the healthy ranges. In terms of spot reduction, your body reduces fat in a way where it's going to be maintaining its health first as much as possible. So in this case for men, the last two places that you will lose are most likely going to be around your waist and then around your chest. Those are just the main two that yep. are statistically going to be the last ones for men. So if you feel like you have stubborn body fat to lose around your waist, that you have pretty lean arms and they are veiny, even though you have a big gut, well, yeah, just because a certain mechanism is to maintain the organs around yeah, the waist.
0: Exactly. See, I'm a little interesting in the sense that I don't start showing veins in my arms until I'm like sub 10% body fat and then they get much more prominent. And my dad, for example, he'll have a much bigger gut, but his arms are like shredded. Other parts of his body are much leaner and you could he's much more vascular and even vascularity just comes down to genetics to a certain extent as well. But there are people like that. So for me, I get sometimes upset when I'm working out and just a tank top at the gym because underneath I'm a little bit more leaner and my arms aren't. So I feel fatter than I am. But really, it's just almost as if my or, or it really is that my arms are just a little fatter than other parts of my body. That's how my genetics work. So it works better at the beach when I can actually have my shirt off and then I'm leaner in my stomach at a higher body fat than other people would have to be.
1: Yeah, yeah. everybody holds body fat differently. Uh, in your cases, there actually is research on uh, especially vein distribution. So basically, mm-hmm. as, as you get older, you're actually going to have – as you work out more, more veins going to the body parts that you work on. So you're gonna, just like
0: muscle – it's kind of how people refer to like muscle maturity.
1: Yeah, so like you have a greenier muscle yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And then vein-wise, you actually will have more blood pathways going into muscle. Gotcha. Because you are utilizing it more. So your body's – actually adapting to to send more blood to that area there's actually a name for it i actually can't think on top of my head i
0: i I have heard brief like very little about what you're talking about but i understand yeah Yeah. and then it's true also i think there's idea just as you get older your skin gets a little uh different right Uh, tighter i would presume and then yeah people call it
1: grainy like it looks grainier. looks grainier. yeah
0: that's why when people like see bodybuilders on stage the younger ones they would say are less grainy they don't have that grainy look Mm -hmm. basically what it is yeah. yeah All right, so we'll transition into the next one then. It's a it's a pretty big one as well. This is more of a dieting myth. It's that you should stay away from really carbs and fat and just eat a bunch of protein because carbs are going to make you fat and fats going to make you fat. These these ideas are actually pretty crazy. The like we've talked about numerous times before. Obviously, there's so much that goes along with having a calorie deficit, but what's going to make you lose fat and weight in general is a calorie deficit. So When it comes to staying away from carbs and fat, that just doesn't make any sense because we've already cited all the studies before where the Twinkie professor is what they coined it, where he ate predominantly Twinkies, high sugar, high fat foods, and lost 27 pounds in like six weeks. We don't recommend that, but he did that eating almost everything but protein. So Mm -hmm. it's not that. It's really just an equation of calories. Now, what we do recommend is eating more protein than probably you are currently up to around point eight grams of protein per pound of body weight to derive the most benefit along with having a balanced diet. So that includes having adequate carbs, having adequate fats. When you extremely limit any of these macronutrients, your hormones are going to be out of whack. Your body is going to be compensating in different ways. You're, you're not going to get the optimal benefits of protein if you're because it's going to be utilizing that protein for other responsibilities in the body that otherwise wouldn't if you're limiting carbs and fat. If you're limiting fat too much, your hormones are going to be shitty. You're not going to be able to produce enough testosterone or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And if you limit carbs, then your performance in the
1: gym is going to suffer drastically. Yeah. Yeah. So in this case, we don't want you to demonize both either carbs and or fat. What you do want to do is have a balance from the beginning. Make sure you understand what your calorie intake is. Make sure your protein is set to a certain amount. Which is 0.6 to 0.8 grams like benji said and then from there what you want to do is have a balance of carbs and fats and then from there you can play with a little bit more carbs a little bit less fat or a little bit more fat in your diet and a little bit less carbs but understand that in every research study that has come out recently that when calories are equated and they manipulated the carbs and the fats protein maintained also the same that results were the same both groups still lost fat and maintain the same same muscle mass since they're on the same training protocol so at the end of the day you want to make sure that you're not demonizing other but your body may like one or the other more so but you have to play with that so don't demonize it just understand that calories at the end of the day are the biggest picture think of it as calories are king and protein is
0: queen and everything else after that yeah little details i think the easiest way at least for me this is how i look at it and then you could share maybe how you do it but I look at how much protein I'm taking in in terms of grams because it's easy to just equate that with the percentage of my body weight. So let's say that I weigh about 180, gram, uh, I weigh 180 grams, I weigh 180 pounds of, um, I weigh 180 pounds. So now I'm taking in somewhere around 160 to 170 grams of protein, something along those lines. The When it comes to fats and carbs, I look at it now in terms of percentages of my diet. It's really easy when you use an app to just see those percentages. For carbs, I make sure I'm somewhere in between 40 and 60%. Some people could drop below that number, and especially when they're cutting, it sometimes just inherently happens. But for me, my body likes carbs a little more, so I'm going to be on that upper end. And then with fat, we don't recommend anyone really dropping below 20 or 15%. That's what's really going to start to mess up your hormones. This idea that fat, fat makes you fat is just not rooted in any science whatsoever. So I make sure I'm any anywhere really above 20% usually below 30%. That's how my body responds best. But when it comes to setting your own goals, put that protein number at ideally around 0.8 grams of protein for trying to get optimal muscle protein synthesis in conjunction with going to the gym, having a routine there, trying to build muscle, and then manipulate your fats and carbs afterwards, trying to play with, okay, do I do better with a little bit less fats, a little bit more carbs or the other way around or somewhere in between?
1: Yeah, well, people don't, people don't understand where this comes from. It's actually all marketing and falsified studies. Uh, just just some awesome facts. The reason why we went low-fat because the author of the massive study, I'm not going to mention his name, but he did something with eggs, touting that eggs were really bad for you, especially the yolk. So, in the, Is he uh, a liar? Huh? Yeah. He, Yo, you he, should he, mention his name then. He's a liar. I actually don't remember the name. Oh, okay. Off, off the top of my head. I do have it <laughs> saved, but just understand You're that. You're trying to save yourself. I messed it up. Just imagine, he he made that study and it wasn't done very well. But based off that study, he we actually changed our nutritional guideline to make that fats were inherently bad. So everything from about the 80s and 90s was switched from uh, all the low fat, no fat at all. Comes from. And then what happened was they they to make everything low fat takes out a lot of flavor. So they added sugar into everything, Mm. and that's actually where the The food pyramid came from from the 90s to 2000s, which is all the grains. Saying, And then also on that end, so we went from low-fat to high-carb. And in that end, they falsified studies by a big brand company, which you can probably think of on top of your head. That is the head of all cereals and wheat and brands Mm. that we all go from. And they falsified those studies to say that these are great for your heart health. Eat these cereals for breakfast. Have this for Orange juice for breakfast. Have pancakes for breakfast. crazy and we went from low fat to high carbs and now we're in the situation where all the all of those nutrition recommendations have have now become our detriment because of these false claims and then we make false more false
0: studies. claims as a result of the previous ones it just keeps spiraling it's like getting yourself caught in a line then it just keeps going yeah even our own government now has this crazy food pyramid i don't know if you saw it it was about a year ago yeah maybe we'll like pop up a picture on the screen or just put it in the podcast notes but it's this crazy idea like it, i think it goes along with the idea that the egg yolks are really bad for you it's like all at the bottom it's, yeah it it's just all strong. back it, not completely backwards, but it's it's pretty backwards. It's, it's just wrong. Yeah. It's, it's outright misinformation. That,
1: that's why that's why we're doing this for you guys and for our, our clients is because we don't want you guys to be misinformed. But just understand that we always look at the history of why these things came about. So these – just You should stay away from carbs and fats was because of a falsified study. And they were genuinely trying to find the right answer for the fat, the fat question of, oh, how much is too much or is it bad for you? And in this case, you just correlated – Fat high fats to high cholesterol because of eggs, and therefore he made it a correlative con- conclusion to say that all most fat is bad. You probably shouldn't have high fats, especially cholesterol. And look at us now, and now we're touting actually the opposite end, where egg is probably <laughs> the world's multi the life's natural multivitamin, which it does have plenty of vitamins. Yeah,
0: let your food be thy medicine, and thy medicine be your food. Yeah, it's true. All right, well let's let's get into the another tip, and that was really good insight. Like I learned a good amount there, but there's an idea that there's no such thing as overtraining just under eating or the idea that basically you could just train for hours on end and i've talked about this before i learned that the hard way because i sort of believe this it was just like no pain no gain i'm just gonna work out like nonstop, do like 25 sets of failure to for every single muscle group and i got 103 plus fever three times in a row within like three weeks my body couldn't handle it anymore and i didn't know what was going on so eventually i figured it out but look I don't believe that we should – I think that there is sort of this growth in this overtraining idea where people really don't know what overtraining is because they think they're close to failure and they're really not. And then they just use it as an excuse and pussy out from training hard. Like there's totally that side. And I think that's probably at least like 50%. But then there's the other 50% that they – maybe not 50%, but there's the other side that believes that you just have to keep training and training and training. And a lot of these people that promote this idea – are on special sports supplements or exogenous (laughs) hormones that help them recover more and grow more in the gym which aren't really good for your health so you take that in consideration say okay me as the average person who's natural but still optimizing my health how much is too much and i mean there's not an exact number we think that anywhere from 10 to 20 sets per muscle group within a closer proximity to failure is a good idea but if you You should learn to auto-regulate your body and say, okay, like I'm dying right now. Like I do need to step back. Like what Chris and I typically do is we put our training into cycles where we go for five to six weeks and gradually build up our volume over reach on the last week to the point where the next week, if we kept going, we wouldn't be able to really recover. And then we kind of take a recovery period where we're still in the gym, but just with less volume the next week.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, this really just comes down to a misunderstanding of training itself. You have to understand training Itself is a stress on the body. But with that stress, you want to recover and adapt from, which is, these are all good things. Like, this is what we were intending to do. And now there is a line of which is good training. And then there's a, a massive gap to where it's considered all of it is good training to where the upper threshold is, what so we call overtraining. So that is like the science way of thinking about it. Now, when you're eating enough calories, that threshold can actually widen on the further end so yes yes eating cr- eating the right amounts and or more so a surplus will raise that volume amount threshold that you can handle the issue with this saying that you can just you're under eating there's no you're under eating versus over uh is false because no matter what if i ate if my calories were at four thousand calories and then I ate 5,000 calories. It's not going to make up for the 100 sets of bench press I just did yesterday. Yeah, it doesn't
0: endlessly <laughs> increase the threshold of what you can handle.
1: Yeah, it's just it, – it. all it does is – extra food does help, but it is not a never-ending cycle of limitless power. Precisely. You're not Superman, okay? You
0: know, yeah. We might wish we were Superman, but well, Chris is Nightwing. He's wearing a Nightwing shirt right now. Yeah, we're a Nightwing shirt. Sure. And Nightwing doesn't have those powers, so no one could do it. <laughs> exactly. Um, all right, so there's another training myth which I hear a lot of women say this a lot, but I think also men as well, the idea that it'll make you too bulky, especially if you want a leaner mis- uh, physique. And there's not really anything grounded in this other than people potentially seeing really jacked people, probably bodybuilders and saying, "I don't want to look like that." But saying that you don't want to lift as because you're going to look like Ronnie Coleman is the excuse to not lift is like saying that you don't want to start taking up soccer as a hobby because you're going to be as good as Lionel Messi or that you don't want to start playing football because you're going to be as good as Tom Brady like that's just not you're not going to just start doing that and become that good at football that good at soccer that big in the gym and even if you don't want to become too bulky we have to define what bulky means because generally that just means that you're putting If you're going to the gym and getting bulkier, you're probably putting on fat along with that muscle and not doing, manipulating other variables properly. So especially if you're a woman and you're saying, I don't want to go to the gym because it's going to make me bulky. It's actually probably going to make you leaner if you do everything properly, because you're going to be lifting weights, which is going to increase your metabolic rate. It's going to boost your metabolism. And that through time is going to allow you to burn more calories as long as you're manipulating the other variables properly. So, and then also like in terms of bulkiness, if you, as long as you manipulate how you're training, like if anything, that's just going to make you, like I said, leaner, but more attractive as well, because you're going to be able to bring up the muscle groups that are going to be more prominent, whether you're a female or a male.
1: So for some of you that have uh, predispositions to hyper responsive muscle groups, uh, in this case, that might be that you you don't have to hit. Sh- uh, sh- let's say your shoulders are very hyper responsive or your quads, whatever it might be, and you you don't want that one to be super big or it just very it just you just know that it grows yeah. pretty pretty well then in that case yeah you may, what you can do is you can dial back the volume you can still hit it but just make sure you dial back the amount of work that you need to put it into it like you don't have to set up your program to where it's completely even like say like eight sets for your legs a week and starting yeah. at 12 sets for your upper body per body part that's for men and then for women i have plenty of women that say i don't want broad shoulders i don't want a big chest or a square chest so in those cases, what, I'll, what I will do is I will make sure that they're still hitting their compound movements overall, uh, but there's no isolations unless I want them to make sure they feel a muscle. But in that case, is, that means they also have to be hyper-responsive, in which case, most women I've worked with are not hyper-responsive to yeah. crazy amounts of shoulder training, crazy amounts of chest training, and or crazy amounts of back training. Some women are actually afraid to get uh, really big backs. And realistically is you just wanna make sure that you have a healthy and a strong body but if you have a preference of having a little bit less muscle on one end, then hey, guess what? Then make sure that you're just yeah. doing the bare minimum. We're not telling you to get you know, f- hyper focus on it. We're just saying to that it's not going to make you bulky, but make sure that you're still hitting those muscle groups. Yeah, and then it's... you're also oh, I lost track.
0: No, it's alright. It's it's pretty simple though. Like it's um they take flex wheeler for example i think there was a whole year where i can't remember if it was the flip side around or not but i think he didn't train his entire upper body for almost an entire year out from the olympia just to train his legs and to bring them up and that did wonders for him my my girlfriend hasn't trained legs in two years and she looks like she's trained them for like 10 years and should compete like it's just it, people respond differently to certain muscle groups right like i hammer my chest and i don't get nearly as much growth as i want to but i do half of that for back and my back gets much wider through time. So all of these things add up and it's just simple. It's a, it's an art bodybuilding in its purest form, not necessarily competing on stage. It's like being a sculptor, but instead of actually using clay or using your own body, it's like taking clay and saying, Oh, I need more shoulders. Like I'm going to put that clay on here, on here. I need more chest. I'm going to put that clay up here and up here. And so it's, that's what it is in its purest form. And it's actually quite simple when you start to look at it like that. you yeah, Just know that it's, most of you are probably not in the one that
1: 1% where you're hyper-responsive. Lifting is not going to make you bulky. Just make sure that you have your training principles in place. And then if you have some body parts that are hyper-responsive, then yes, by all means, you can bring down the volume. But I guarantee you, you're not in that 1% where you have to worry about not hitting it at all.
0: Yeah, And um, let's roll into our sixth fitness myth here which is that free weights are better than machines or vice versa and then you could start to apply this to other modalities like dumbbells are better than barbells or vice versa and just comparing all of them but really the idea is that I don't know exactly where this stems from but maybe it's that hey the barbell they they're a part of the three biggest lifts you could lift the largest amount so that's the most stimulus on the muscles but really through a large period of time anyways a longer period of time, not week to week, your body adapts to a given stimulus and you need to start giving your body a new stimulus, something that's fresh. And I think maybe people s- start avoiding certain exercise modalities like machines or even Smith machines because they think, oh, that's that's for pussies. Like the free weights is where it's at. Like I'm just going to get like all sweaty and bloody on the dumbbells and like no, like every modality has a time and place. Um, the guys from Mind Pump, I don't I think it was Sal that said it was the best exercise for you is the one that you're not currently doing. So if you're doing all barbell stuff and all machine stuff, but you're not doing any dumbbell stuff, maybe the best exercise for you is a a dumbbell fly or something like that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. the The main takeaway from this is understand movement patterns and then make sure your technique is right. Yeah. With those movement patterns, and there's a big there's a big seven, but understand that once you have those movement patterns down, then you should be uh, experimenting with different types of about modalities in those movement patterns. For example. You do not have to do a barbell bench press to grow your chest. What I will say, though, is I definitely want you to understand how to do a barbell bench press. And then after you understand how to, then have some proxies to, to see if it is a good exercise for you. So let's say you get to a point where you're bench pressing 225 pounds as a male for one rep, which is good. That's solid for a lifter. Now, if you tell me afterwards, hey, coach, I don't feel it in my chest. I just... I'm just moving weight which is actually where I'm, the camp is for me then guess what barbell bench press probably isn't the best stimulus for my chest and guess what i'll have to find different movements to help hit my chest whether whether it is changing the angle of my elbows in the bench press whether it's using a chest machine yep. whether it's doing dumbbells or different different angles for those presses and i'll tell you right now i'm not i don't feel my chest at all in a barbell bench press especially when i go for a power lift because i'm maximizing the Amount of force I can produce with the least range of motion, versus where I do an incline dumbbell bench press, and my intent is to get a really good stretch at the bottom and squeeze at the top. That's
0: how. Yep. Yeah, I think uh, if you're trying to hypertrophy your muscles and you're trying to figure out should I do dumbbells, barbells, machines, what should I do? I think that that should be the last of your concerns, and maybe that's an indicator why you're not growing muscle because you're focusing on too many variables. Instead, what you should be focusing on, like you said, is making sure your body's in an anatomically correct position so that you can feel the muscle, get a full stretch a full contraction that you can progressively overload on the given movement that you're doing, whether it's on a machine, a Smith machine, free weights, barbell, pre- uh, using barbells on the week to week basis. Focusing on that as aligned with your nutrition as well is going to be far more important than focusing on, hmm, should I do dumbbell press or barbell press? Should I do machine press or, or this modality? There's no point in thinking about all that and wasting all that time when instead just prioritizing the things that are going to make 90% of the difference you're not even focusing on.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: I mean, just
1: think of it like a thought process. Imagine to yourself that you're doing a barbell row and you feel nothing in your back and you do a significant amount of weight. You do 135, 135 pounds for a couple reps, but you you think to yourself, man, I don't feel a damn thing in your lats or in your back at all. You're just moving. You're just moving. Now you, I put you on the machine row and you're like, holy crap, man, I can feel every yeah. detail. I didn't know my muscles existed back there. I didn't even know it's a back exercise. I'm going to tell you right now that that is most likely a better exercise for you because you're able to feel the muscle, squeeze it, and fatigue it. That is a target exactly. muscle. And I'm not saying this is for every exercise. I'm not going to tell you an, or ask you if you're doing a three-rep max on your squat, hey, bro, did you feel that in your uh, You feel that in your quads? I'm going to be like, okay, did the movement look well? Did, there, did anything bother you? No, yes, like yeah,
0: like if you're lifting, like if you're squatting six plates with great form, you're going all the way down and, and locking out fully, then yeah, your quads are probably pretty big. Like there's going to be more variables you're concerned about at that point. But focus on getting to that point first before you worry about all these other modal like what modality you should use. Yeah, each modality
1: is a tool. And yes, we do. I do have a bar, you know, free weight bias. Because I come from that background of a Yeah, strong, I just think it's more man. fun. Yeah, it's more fun. It's, I come from a strongman background, a powerlifting background. So we I am confined to the big three or some movements that I need to be doing. But overall, it's find what's good for your body and your joints and your muscles. And then experiment with that. And then switch it around for a couple more weeks. And see which modality overall at the end
0: of the time works best for you. Exactly. And let's go into our last training myth. So myth number seven here is that there's a best body part training split that's magically going to help you more than as opposed to another split. So some common splits are going to be push pull legs and then potentially repeated throughout the week. So push pull legs, push pull legs, upper lower, upper lower, and then full body across the course of many days. And people focus on this for many different reasons. I think a lot of times it has to do with what their favorite influencer or bodybuilder or YouTuber tells them to do. And really, This kind of goes back to what we were talking about with which exercise modality you should be using instead of focusing on what the best split is focus more on just training each muscle on average, at least two times per week, focus on progressive overloading each muscle on each given movement that you're performing for each movement, focus on giving it your best in the gym, focus on being consistent, showing up day in and day out and focus on honing in on your diet. I think that that's far more important than thinking, hey, Maybe if I manipulate like bicep curls this day and then do chest this day and like trying to manipulate every variable when you can't even focus on like when you, whatever, <laughs> but like you, you get my point. I, I lost my train of thought there, but you, you know exactly what, uh, what I'm saying. Yeah. There's no,
1: there's no magical best body part training split. I am going to break it down as, as simple as this and elude it to it more. Yeah. Our checklist is one is frequency. How many times are you hitting each body part per week? Right now, the actual literature says that it actually doesn't matter as much as we think. Practically, we recommend at least two to three times per week. Intensity, you have two types, right? Intensity of effort and intensity of load. So us as coaches, we don't really program in too much of intensity of load per se, only because we're not really working with powerlifters as much. We're working with people who just want to generally be healthy and look good. So we focus on intensity of effort, which is number two. If we prescribe you a certain rep range for a certain exercise, that at the end of your set, we always ask, how many more reps could you have done after you finished? And if you say anything more than four, three to four, then that set has now become more of a warm-up than an actual set of fatiguing that muscle. So we're going to go up either a a little bit heavier in weight, or we're just going to make sure your technique is correct. And then volume. So make sure that your volume that we know now that is – you probably want to start generally around – 8 to 10 sets per body part per week, 8 for your lower body, 10 for your upper body. And if that's not enough for you to progress in a week, then you start adding a little bit more as the weeks go on. And then you'll kind of find like a range where where you feel the most progress at. But it's a pretty moderately large range. Yeah. And then on top of that, you have to make sure that you're progressing with those. So if you're using the same weights and the same sets and the same reps every time you come into the gym, that's not good. You have to make sure you do you do have to progress with progressive overload those are the big four checklists that we start with and then the last proxy for that is just making sure your technique is correct because without technique first then all that does not matter because then you're just going to progress with bad technique and there is no best body part split find one that you enjoy because
0: if you don't enjoy the ones you're doing i guarantee you it's not gonna be the best one because you're not doing it consistently yeah, exactly. Fo- There's no magical body part split. Focus on what makes the biggest difference for you. What's the most consistent, what you could adhere to. And one that allows you to train each muscle, like you said, about two to three times a week that allows you to progressive overload, focus on good form and and whatnot. But that's part of the reason why I'm almost smaller because I didn't do those things. And for way too long, I focused on variables that people who were advanced should be focusing on and that might make the 5% difference in their marginal gains but for me it was limiting me to not make the 90% of gains that I should have been making so mm-hmm. i mean it's when it comes down to training as a beginner into intermediate things are much more simpler than people tend to make them and yes we sit here for hours talking about all these different things regarding training nutrition and variables cuz that's what we do but for the average person what we're recommending is to actually try and simplify it much more
1: yeah do make sure you get the fundamentals down and then you can start playing with the intricacies. But even so, people do have trouble even getting down the fundamentals first. And I preach fundamentals over everything because the fundamentals get over 80%. And in this case for body part training splits is understanding that you have to to make sure that you're hitting each body part, hopefully twice to three times per week. You're training hard enough in that rep range with the right amount of weight and that you're doing enough work over the course of the week. So we start off at eight sets for lower body and 10 sets for upper body part. And then that you're making sure that you're progressing with each movement with great technique. That's it. Yep. Start there.
0: All right, guys. So visit www.thegenerationfit.com for tons of free resources, free guides, visuals, videos, you name it, we've got it there. And have a good one. Have a good one, guys.